You guys can sit down. Jesus is worthy of standing for, but I'm not, okay? Yeah, um, yeah, don't listen to your pastor. No, I'm seasoned. <laughs> I love Daniel, Pastor Daniel and Emily. Uh, you guys are awesome. And Scent Church, uh, you guys are blessed to have a pastor that cares and does as good of a job as shepherding. Now, he's not perfect. Trust me, I know he's not perfect. We are close. Uh, he probably only calls me once every two weeks because he can only handle a slap in every once uh, in a while. But uh, I, one thing I will speak is on Daniel's heart. And uh, if you've ever been hurt by a pastor, if you've ever been hurt uh, by someone in leadership, I can guarantee you if you're hurt from this church, it's not going to be their intentions that are hurting there. There's a, there's a blind spot. And so if Pastor Daniel has hurt you or anybody from this team has hurt you, don't allow that to become a point of resentment or a point of just uh, struggle. Go, because I guarantee you, I speak on behalf of your pastor's hearts. He loves you. He really does love you guys. And uh, he cares deeply about um, you. And so it's an honor uh, to share God's word with you. It's a privilege to be here. I finally made it up, Daniel. And uh, I'm excited, and I hope that you are too. Hey, before we jump in uh, to this 12-year series on Mark, uh, okay, uh, we, if, is it cool if I just share just a little bit about my family, kind of where, who I am, where I come from and stuff? I love to be able to show off some pictures and stuff. Uh, so we just got back um, uh, some school pictures, okay? I'm married to Elizabeth. We've been married uh, for about nine and a half years, and... Uh, we've got three wonderful children. This first picture is of Sam. Uh, yeah, that's the best of three, okay? Um, and uh, he's seven years old. He's in second grade, and he is a joy. He, uh, he, he loves to ask questions. He's a reader. He loves to read. He'll just, like, come home and, like, read uh, for, like, an hour. And that was not me. Like, he's going to be way more intelligent than I ever uh, might be, and he's got all the questions. He asks all sorts of theological questions where I'm like, uh, let's let's talk about incest in the Bible at a later age, you know, and different things, and like, you know, he's asking all the questions, um, but he's, he's the best big brother. He loves golf. He's learning to play piano, um, and he's, he's just got a really tender heart. At night, just the other night, um, he was praying, and, and he put it this way. He's like, God, my, my house is just open for you to come on in. And, and would you just take a mop and would you just clean it up? And then, and then God, would you put the fruit in my tree that I need? And, and God, patience is a big one because my sisters really take it from me, God. Give me. And he's just, he is just so awesome. And so that's Sam. He's our oldest. And I love him. This is our uh, middle daughter, Paisley. She's got the closed mouth smile. We couldn't get her to smile any better, I guess, um, but a little bit of an improvement of a, a picture. She's, she is five, almost six. She turned six November 11th, Veterans Day, and uh, she's in kindergarten, and she is cuddly. Uh, she's lovey. She is our pet lover, but we don't have pets, okay? Um, we have fish, and they will not die. We can't get them to die, and... Uh, uh, don't tell my kids I said that, okay? Um, and my wife is, like, deathly allergic to anything with, like, hair besides me, thankfully. And, uh, and so um, we've got pet fish, but uh, uh, Paisley is, like, an animal lover. Like, we'll go to, like, an alpaca farm. There's one not too far from us. And she just, like, 
snuggles with the alpacas, and the alpacas, like, snuggle with her, and she's, like, buds up. She's going to be, like, a veterinarian or something. She's, like, very much, like, uh, in tune with people's feelings. Um, but since we don't have pets at our house, she's into catching bugs. Uh, and uh, we were just out at Ledges State Park yesterday enjoying the day, and she's picking up these millipedes and all these different things, and her mom is like, deep breath, you know, she doesn't do it. So she has pet bugs. Um, it's great. And uh, then this is Essie. She is, uh, she, she is four, and she is loud, and she is crazy. <laughs> As you can see, that is a real school picture. That is not Photoshopped. Um, she, is, she is crazy. She's four going on 14. When we had Essie, uh, I called the urology department and scheduled a vasectomy. Um, <laughs> Immediately, <laughs> knowing that this would be uh, this would be our our biggest handful. And the story behind this hot dog costume for picture day is we were driving home from church. I was taking the kids home from church on Wednesday night, and uh, the next day was picture day. And I said, "Essie, tomorrow's picture day. What do you want to wear?" And she goes, "I want to go naked." I said, "No, <laughs> okay. You have to wear clothes, okay." And she's like, "Oh, okay." And I was like, "Seriously, what do you want to wear?" And she's like. My hot dog costume. I said, well, we'll have to have a conversation with your mom about that. And so I said, um, if you don't want to wear a hot dog costume, and we kind of came up with a, a plan B. So we emailed the teacher thinking, is this acceptable? Uh, we didn't hear anything back. So we just sent the costume with her to school, emailed the teacher and said, if this is cool with you, help her put it on. We're fine with it. Because when I think of my daughter at this age, I don't want to see her hair nicely crimped and all beautiful because that's not her. Her hair is always in a rat's nest. I never want to see, like when I close my eyes and think Essie at four years old, I don't think this pretty proper dress. I think hot dog costume. <laughs> and uh, so we're excited to have that eight by ten for graduation. And that's my, my family. As I said, I've been married uh, to Elizabeth for about nine, nine years, nine and a half years. Here's a picture of us. Uh, she's Four and a half years older than I am. Uh, some of you know what that means. She's a puma. Not quite cougar status. Just a baby cat. Okay. She is, uh, she is so wise in her age. And uh, she, uh, she is wonderful. Uh, she's one of the hardest workers I know. She's uh, attentive to detail. She's a phenomenal mother. That was one of the things that attracted me to her was the way that she... Uh, just treated young people and she treated old people with just the utmost respect and love and patience, knowing that I would take some patience. She has a heart for ministry, and I think she's hot, which is how we ended up with three kids. Um, Elizabeth is a stay-at-home mom, and uh, but before she stayed at home, she's been staying at home for, oh, about the last seven years. And um, before she was uh, the early childhood pastor for about seven and a half years at our church at New Hope. And... Uh, she quickly discovered after having Sam, our first, and she was working and being a mother, she's like, man, I, I just can't do this because my wife is an all-in type of person. How many all-in type of people are you? Like, right? Yeah. Like, when you're in it, you are in it. And that's my wife. And she felt this inner tear of uh, just like, I want to be a mom, and I feel like I can't fully be a mom in this moment, but I also feel like I can't fully be a pastor in this moment. And I feel like I'm sacrificing in both of these roles, and this inner tear was just pulling her apart, and uh, so she decided to, to stay at home, and this 
this terror was just going on, and, and now she stays at home. Um, but I feel like, you know, in, in Christianity, in our walk with God, we can have that same inner terror, right? Uh, where we want to be all in, but also we're kind of one foot in and one foot out. And on one side, you've got Jesus pulling at your heart, graciously inviting you to be a part of his kingdom, graciously inviting you to be um, uh, with him and, and a part of his work. And then on the other side, you've got the world saying, like, come and do my thing and, and pursue this and it'll give you happiness and pursue that. And can I just encourage you this morning, if you're not all in with Jesus, just get all in. Stop feeling that internal terror, uh, this 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 um, divide in your heart where it's like, man, I want to be all in with Jesus. Man, you're going to feel so much better. You're going to have that peace that comes that can only come when you become all in. And that's how we're going to end this morning is I'm going to ask uh, those that, that would come forward and saying, I, I want to be all in with Jesus. In every area of my life, I want to be all in. The altar area uh, is kind of a paradox, right? It's, a, it's an area that, that represents death. Um, but uh, it's also an area that brings life. And the altar is a place where we lay down our pride, we lay down the, our ways and our thinking and, and our ambitions, and we pick up the Lord's ambitions, we pick up the Lord's uh, viewpoint of, of ourselves and, and what we should be doing. And so uh, I would just encourage you, today is the best day that if you're not all in with Jesus, I just encourage you to be all in with Jesus. Like I said earlier, uh, we're continuing in this forever long series in Mark, which I think is phenomenal, by the way. Uh, Daniel called me up, and he's like, what do you think about going through the book of the Bible, or what do you think about series? And I said, you know, you can do topical series, but it's one thing to really exegetically work through a book of the Bible where you grow to understand the whole picture and not just little nuggets, right? So would you stand with me as we read um, God's word, just out of honor? Some of you might be wondering, why I'm in a sling. Anybody had that question? It's because I like attention. Okay. Uh, it is. Yeah. Uh, before I wore a sling, nobody talked to me. Now everybody's like, hey, what'd you do to your arm? Or my personal favorite, what'd the other guy look at? Like, <laughs> you know, and so, um, so I'm basically popular now. Uh, if you need some attention, just put a sling on. I promise you people will talk to you. Uh, no, what actually happened is uh, I, I I uh, was mountain biking over in Council Bluffs, overshot a big step up jump, missed the landing, landed uh, flat, and just pile drove my shoulder into the ground. And uh, I went to the emergency room, my friend took me there, and uh, they said, you broke your scapula. And I said, my what you love? I'm like, am I going to be able to walk? And they're like, yeah, that's your shoulder blade. And I was like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> that sounds good. Um, and so I've been in a sling for the last six and a half weeks, um, and I'm hoping Thursday uh, I'll get some better x-rays this time. I broke it in the shoulder socket, and so it's a really wet environment. It's just having a hard time. I actually broke a piece. It, I need to stop talking about that, but um, that's why I'm in a sling. Anyway, Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 13. Later, they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. And they came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. But you teach the way of God in accordance with truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay it or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he asked. 
bring me a denarius and let me look at it. So they brought the coin and he asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak through me this morning exactly what this church, what this body needs to hear. And I just pray uh, that of all the studying and all the things that have made it into these notes and all the things that we don't have time for, I just pray whatever you would like to highlight, whatever you want to share, that you would flow through me, God. And I pray that hearts would be open, that we would uh, have ears to hear and eyes to see. Allow your, your gentle, loving Holy Spirit begin to convict us, Lord. And I pray, God, that we would be all in for you. Teach us through your word, and we love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You may find your seat. You may find your seat. So there's a lot in this text, um, but let's just kind of work through this for a little bit. Starting in verse 13. It says, later, they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. And they came to him and, and said, so who's they? Okay, there's two they's in this first verse. The first they, in order to know who they are, you have to go back to Mark chapter 11, verse 27, where they is the chief priests, the elders, and the teachers of the law. So they send some Pharisees and Herodians to trap Jesus. They are trying to trap Jesus. So the second they in this verse are who? The Pharisees, right? And uh, we see that they, the Pharisees, come before Jesus, and in verse 17, they leave being amazed, and they were amazed at him. Okay, isn't it great that even when people oppose Jesus, oppose his message, that after spending time in his presence, that they can leave being amazed at him? Can I just speak to the parents in the room? Parents, uh, if you've got children, whether they're 17, 18, or they're 20, and they're still living at home with college, get your kids to church, okay? Bring your kids to church. Push them to church. Uh, you say, well, you don't understand what it's like uh, to have a 15-year-old that doesn't want to come to church. You're right, I don't. Um, and I've, I've heard people say, say this, you know, I, I don't want it to be my decision for them. They're at an age where it needs to be their decision. Or, or I don't want to push them away from Christ. It really needs to be, I, I don't want to push them away from Christ. It needs to be their decision. Can I just remind you that Satan doesn't need your help uh, in pushing your child away from Christ. Like the world does a good enough job pulling your children away from Christ. What God needs is uh, men and women that will push their children into the presence of Jesus and maybe one day after a sent message that they would leave being amazed at Jesus because they're in the presence of Jesus. I love it when people come in unsuspecting, not open, but the power and the presence of Jesus is what changes people's lives. So end rant, just a little plug for the parents. Come on, parent, be the parent, lead. Lead them to Jesus, push them to Jesus, and, and let's, uh, let's pray that the presence of Jesus leaves your children being amazed at him. Moving on uh, in verse 14, or 15. Um, uh, no, yeah, 14. Um, it, it, you see that Jesus is referred to as a teacher. He's uh, referred to as a person of integrity. We see that Jesus wasn't swayed by what other people 
thought or he wasn't intimidated by another person's position. We read in this text looking at it that he was a speaker of truth and he taught uh, the word of God in, in truth. And in verse 15, it says that Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Jesus knows all that you do. He knows your heart's intentions. He sees what you are. But the good news is even though he sees us, he loves us and he's calling us to repentance, right? And, and then he asks for a coin, which what does that imply? That implies that Jesus was not maybe well off. There wasn't much to his name or his ministry. And, and so there's a lot to say about these traits of Jesus as we look at these first um, few verses, but that's not where we're going to spend our time. We're going to be kind of focusing in on verse 16 and 17, where when they ask, uh, should we pay this imperial tax to Caesar, which anybody watch Andor? Like that sounds like a Star Wars tax, the imperial tax, like, right? That's what I first thought when I read imperial tax. I'm like, ooh, that, that sounds Star Wars-ish. Apparently that's only me that thinks that, okay? Um, but that's where we're going to be. And Jesus is asked whether or not they should pay this tax. And in verse 16, it says that they bring Jesus a coin and he asks them, whose image is this? Whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Now I want you to underline the word image in your, your Bible. If you're taking notes, write that down. Okay, Jesus was a master teacher. And depending on who he was talking to, uh, depended on how he would teach, right? If he was talking to an average Joe, an average person, he would teach in something called parables. Parables are like stories that are relatable. It'd be like an illustration today where it's just the people knew what he was talking about because he was relating on something uh, that they were familiar with. If he was talking in a region of Israel that was more uh, agriculture-minded and, and farming-minded, uh, he would begin to speak in parables of sowing seed and and harvesting and all these different things. But when Jesus would speak and he was teaching in front of the Pharisees and he was teaching in front of the chief priests and the elders and the teachers of the law, he would often refer to rabbinic literature. Um, so this is outside the Bible, outside the, the scriptures. Rabbis would would essentially write commentary of, of what they were interpreting and what they were thinking. And so Jesus would refer to this rabbinic literature that was popular at the time. And he would also refer to the Torah, which is what? The first five books of the Bible. You've got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Good job. You guys are amazing. Okay, um, And so in this text, Jesus is talking to the religious leaders. And in order to be a rabbi or in order to be a religious leader, um, you would have had to have had the Torah, the first five books of the, the Bible, memorized by age 13. And I'll just stop. Okay, guys in the room. I think the least you can do is remember your wife's, or your wife's birthday and your anniversary, right? Like if, if these 13-year-old boys can remember all of Deuteronomy or all of Leviticus, like, that's, that's saying something. And so Jesus is talking to these religious leaders that have the scriptures ingrained in their mind. Not only that, they, that's essentially what they do. They just go to the temple and they talk about scriptures and stuff. So Jesus would often use a literary tactic called a remez. Anybody familiar with what a remez is? R-E-M-E-Z, a remez. Okay, a remez was a hint 
or a clue that was meant to draw that person's mind back to another portion of text that was common in that area to help support the point that they were making. So in, in, um, in other words, if I said today, to infinity and beyond, we'd all know we're talking about Toy Story, right? If I said, uh, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, 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 what, what uh, movie is that, right? May the force be with you. Right? Mama said, life was like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Forrest Gump. Forrest, did you know that? Okay, good. <laughs> I sounded so excited about that. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. The Wizard of Oz, right? So you're telling me there's a chance. Oh. Yes, Dumb and Dumber. Man, don't, I, that was my favorite movie. Come on. You're killing me, Smalls. That sandlot. Man, you guys are amazing. So Jesus would drop a word or he would drop a sentence and without having to visit the entire chapter or without having to visit the entire thing, people's minds would be brought back to that scripture, back to that point to help emphasize and help bring fuller meaning to the point that, that Jesus was trying to make. And he does this all throughout the New Testament. All throughout the New Testament, he's dropping a remise, a clue, a hint. Um, I, I've got a little bit of time to teach here, but I, I want you to just give you probably the most famous and most powerful remise that Jesus gives us. So turn in your Bible. We're going to flip over for just a second and take pause on, on Mark. Psalm chapter 22, okay? Psalm chapter 22. This might be the most powerful remise that Jesus gives. Now, in Matthew chapter 27, Jesus uh, has been crucified. He's gone through the whole process. He's gone before uh, Pilate. He's been beaten. He's carried his cross. He's up on the cross. And in, in Matthew chapter 27, he says this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Okay, in this moment, Jesus is making a statement. He's not asking a question. He is making a statement. He's making a statement about what has happened, what is happening in his current time and what will happen and he's doing this all through a remise he's doing it all through this hint or this clue so as we read psalm chapter 22 i want you to think if you're familiar at all with the crucifixion story i want you to think what's happening here and what jesus might be really saying when he says my god my god why have you forsaken me so we're going to read we're going to skip around a little bit so have fun tech team okay Verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest, but I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone and despised by people. Let's jump down to verse 7. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads, saying, he trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb, and you made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth, I was cast on you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. Okay, is any of this... You're getting a picture of what's happened to Jesus. In, in the, the crucifixion process by the Romans, 
they wouldn't break bones. They would dislocate their shoulders so they couldn't breathe. They were masters at causing torment and pain. When they pierced Jesus' side, what happens to his side when they pierce his side? In one of the Gospels, what, is it, what happens? Water pours out. You guys seeing this? My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a pot shred. What's a pot shred? I don't know. Okay? And my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. Do you remember him asking, I'm thirsty? And what they give him instead? Vinegar, right? You lay me in the dust uh, in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. And all my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. You guys remember that? But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of dogs. We're going to jump down to verse 24. And here's the conclusion of verse 1 of this rhetorical question. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. Verse 27, all the ends of the earth, this is what's going to happen. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel, kneel before him, and those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord, and they will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. What were Jesus' last words on the cross? It is finished. Do you guys see how when Jesus drops this rimas, he's talking about what has happened, what is happening, and what will happen and he's speaking directly to those religious leaders, to all of those Pharisees, because he knew all it would take was one sentence, and their mind would realize, oh no, he is righteous. And someday, every tongue will confess, and every knee will bow that he is the Lord. And his name is still today being proclaimed among the nations as being righteous and being holy. This brings so much context to the scriptures just by a remise, just by a hint, just by a clue, okay? Pretty powerful stuff, if you ask me. Now, let's look back in our text in Mark chapter 12. In response to their question of should they pay the Star Wars tax or not, Jesus holds up a coin, and he answers this question. He says, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's, or he, excuse me, he, he asks this question, whose image is this? And they all reply, Caesar, right? And then Jesus clearly answers the question. He doesn't skirt the question. He answers their question and he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Now I'll stop here and um, just, uh, just a side tangent, okay, uh, if, if I can. If God's words are true yesterday, today, and forever, then do you think that today he would be saying, give to Caesar what is Caesar's? I, 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 um, I have a personal conviction, and I believe it's a conviction that is rooted in the truth of God's word. 
Proverbs 11.11 says that the Lord detests dishonest scales. And we read throughout scripture where God elevates honesty and integrity. And if Jesus was saying, give to Caesar what is Caesar's back 2,000 years ago, I think he would still be saying the same thing today in your taxes. Now, I report all of my extra income. I, I, I do that. All of my moonlighting jobs, you know, that because I do so many of those, you know, uh, all of the honorariums, I do that. Do I agree with what the government's doing with my money? Absolutely not. It, it makes me bad. I don't like paying taxes any more than anybody else likes paying taxes. But I do know this, that God honors honesty, and he will elevate those that have and operate in integrity. And so I would just challenge you today, if you're going to tote the Christian flag, if you're going to say, I'm a follower of Jesus, then we need to be honest in all of our circumstances and not in just in some of them, okay? Don't mean to step on some toes. You can argue with me all you want, but I'm right, okay? <laughs> so God rewards honesty, and, and Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But then Jesus takes it a step further, and, and he takes it to this next level, and he says, give to God what is God's. Right? This doesn't make sense unless Jesus had given us a clue. This doesn't make sense unless there was a remis. The word image is a remis. Okay? Now, who was he talking to? He was talking to who? The Pharisees, religious leaders, people who had the first five books of the Bible memorized. What text by the word image do you think that Jesus may have been hinting at? Genesis chapter 1. You don't even get out of the first chapter to have this, um, this, this remise, this clue, right? Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and verse 27. And, and image is only used a handful of times. Genesis 1, Genesis 5, 1 and 2, and then maybe uh, 9, maybe verse 6 or something like that, okay? This is Genesis 1, chapter, or verse, chapter 1, verse 26. It says, then God said, this is a creation story, okay? Then God said, let us make mankind in our, in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So what does it mean when we are created in the image of God? There's some people today that believe that that means we're our own little miniature gods, right? We just get to call the shots. We are our own deity. I am God. That's a very popular belief. And in fact, some people have adopted that belief without really realizing that they've adopted that belief because they live their life and they may claim, call on the name of Jesus, but they don't really live that Jesus is Lord because they still do what you want to do. You, you still don't uh, observe different things that God has asked you to do, right? So what does it mean and what does it look like when Jesus is talking about being created in the image of God? Well, first off, being made in the image of God is not a quality that we possess, it's a purpose that we possess. Okay, I wanna, I'll say that again. It's not a quality 
that we possess. It's a purpose that we possess. God made us to rule the land and the creatures in it and to reflect the glory of God so that others might look to him, okay? During that time in Near Eastern culture, so we're talking the Byzantines, the Assyrians, the Egyptian culture, right? What they had were idols, and these idols weren't the God themselves, right? If, if uh, I don't have anything on me, but if I had a little idol in my hands, okay, that wouldn't be the actual God, right? It was just the image of a God. And the purpose of the idol or the image of their God was to draw their attention and remind them of their God, the sun God, the fertility God, the, the rain God, the whatever God that they had. But unlike all of the Near Eastern culture um, and, and, and what was going on there, unlike all of these other religions and cultures, what does Yahweh say? You shall not even create a statue in my image. It's so interesting. When I went to Israel, there's not one single, like, artifact that has, like, a picture of, like, what they think that Elohim, God, is. Why is that? Why did God, why did Yahweh not want an idol to be made of him or make a, a statue of him? Why is that? Because he's already created his image in you and me. Being made in his image is not a, a quality, it's a purpose. It's a purpose that we possess. In the way that you and I live our lives, in the way that we give, in the way that we serve, in the way that we love one another, in the way that we, we, we embrace people and support the widows and we give to missions, in the way that we live our lives, that is a reflection of who God is. And as people see you in your workplace, as people see you parent your children in difficult seasons, as people see you have grace for your bonehead husband in, in different times, okay? People will begin to see the image of God through the way that you live your life. You are an image bearer meant to bring glory to God. Everything that I say, everything that I do, let it not be about me. That's a prayer. That is a prayer for me. That it's not about me. It's not about good preaching or this or that. But it's just about getting people to get their eyes as it turns to me, just whoop, right up to Jesus. Right up to heaven. Right up to God. We are image bearers. And so Jesus is drawing this parallel. And in the same way that the coin was created um, by and belonged to Caesar, humanity was created by and belongs to to God. And the message to the Pharisees over 2,000 years ago is the same message for us today. Give to God what is God's. Give to God what belongs to God. The only response, the only proper response is to give your life completely to the Lord. Anything less than that is only going to lead to frustration, to emptiness, to that inner tear that I was talking about, about being all in, where it's just like, man, why does life just feel so constipated right now? Why does it just feel so just, uh, like there's got to be more. I'm just in the daily grind. I'm in the rat race. And God is saying, give me your heart. See, the Pharisees followed the letter of the law to the T. They paid their tithe down to the nearest shekel, right? They, they observed the Sabbath all the way down to the very last minute. 
they were more wrapped up in the letter of the law, which what is the letter of the law? All of these things, moralistic laws and ritual laws. Those are the kind of the two laws of the Old Testament. Okay, I'm going to do some more teaching. It's not in my notes, but you get it because you're here and you don't get to leave until I say so. Okay? <laughs> um, uh, moralistic laws and ritualistic laws. Uh, both of them were meant to bring people's attention back to God. So one thing that I'm learning, I'm actually preaching on this next week at my church, is about the Sabbath. Do you think that the Lord maybe caused a certain accident or something in my life um, that may be slowing me down to understand what the Sabbath might be important in my life and, and that I need to have rest and stuff? The purpose of the Sabbath, that's not a moralistic law. That's a ritualistic law. The purpose of that was for a people that didn't have the Holy Spirit of God, that couldn't feel God, that couldn't have God speak to them. The purpose of the Sabbath was to bring their attention back to God and to recalibrate. The purpose in whenever they touched something dead and they had to go through all the ritualistic cleansing and all of these crazy things was to inconvenience them, to remind them that there is a God. Okay? And, and so, what am I saying? i, I got to figure out what I'm saying. The, the uh, religious leaders, the Pharisees, observed the laws to the letter of, you know, they observed the law to the letter of the T, right? They, they, were, they were in it, but they missed the spirit of the law. They observed the Sabbath, but were they using the Sabbath to really rest and commune with God? They, they, they gave their tithe, but did, did they really have, uh, did they really give God their heart? See, the problem today is that many Christians tend to kind of compartmentalize their lives just as the Pharisees were doing of that day and age. They have something called a small bucket mentality, okay? I know we didn't pass offering buckets here at church because we don't want to spread any Germans around, um, but we used to pass offering buckets around, right? Anybody grow up in a church that way? And, and you'd pass it. And we'd pass this, this small bucket. And we, we've gained this small bucket mentality. What do I mean by that? Well, the bucket goes by, and I just throw in my 20. Or maybe you're obedient, and you like, God, you got my tithe. I'm giving my 10%. You know, go me. I'm, I'm doing what you asked me to do. And, or maybe you serve at Scent Church. And you serve once a month in the kids area or the greeting team or whatever it might be. And you're like, oh, God, you got my serve weekend. This is my serve day. I'm feeling good about it, you know. And it's just like, oh, I've, I've got my serve. And we tend to compartmentalize what, uh, what God is, is wanting us to do when in reality he wants us to have a big bucket mentality. He wants us not to just give us a portion, a 10%, or one day a week. He's saying... Get in the bucket. Get in the bucket. I don't want just a portion. I don't want just 10%. I don't want just a, 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 a part of your week. I don't want just Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. I need you all the time. See, Jesus was all about bringing things to the next level. What does he do in our text? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and then he brings it to the next degree. He takes it and he intensifies it, and he says, give to God what is God's. Okay? In, in the Old Testament law, what does he say? He says, thou shalt not commit adultery. And what does Jesus say? If you even lust in your heart, 
you have committed adultery. The Old Testament law, thou shalt not commit murder. And what does he say? If you hate in your heart, you've committed murder. Do you see how, like, a small bucket mentality is like doing the minimum? When Jesus is saying, I don't want just a minimum. The minimum was supposed to remind you that I own everything. I want you all in. I want you in the bucket. Can I just encourage you, church? One of the big areas that people don't live all in is finances. God doesn't just call for 10%. He calls for it all. What does that mean? Does that mean that you're just supposed to empty your pockets every time you come to church? You're going to start coming with empty pockets, you know, after a while. No, it just means that, like, if God told me to sell my house and give all of my equity to some cause that he's laid that on my heart, then I need to do that because that's living all in. It doesn't make sense to me. Do I think he's going to do that? I don't think so. Could he? Yeah. Do I hope he does? Absolutely not. (laughs) Okay. But I want my heart to be all in. And there's some people here that I truly believe some of your spiritual breakthrough is attached to your checkbook because you're not honoring God in the tithe. Or maybe you're like the Pharisees where it's like, man, I'm writing that check and I made $1,337, so I'm going to give $133.70 this week. you know, And that's my tithe because that's 10%, God, and you see how faithful I am when God's saying, I want your heart. I want it all. Can I, just, can I just encourage you, as you begin to just get all in, there is so much joy that flows from that. And I'm not just talking finances, because I'll get off the financial uh, bandwagon. You say, oh, finances, Pre- preachers always talk about finances. Well, if you're getting offensive or offended and, and you know, just defensive in this, this moment, maybe I'm speaking to you this morning, and you need to allow the Holy Spirit to grab your heart. And to step into obedience. And I promise you, just like I said earlier, integrity, honesty, all of that, God rewards it. God rewards it. I could stand up here and tell you story after story of times where God has told me to give things of my time, of my energy, of my resources. Where I'm like, I don't have it. I, I don't want to give it. This is meant for college education. This is meant for that. And I give it and the Lord provides. Now, I'm not saying that he's going to do it in the way that he's done it for me. But I do know that he's faithful. You know how he's been faithful to me in this time? As sucky as this is and as active as I am, I'm an avid bow hunter. I love, I killed a 200-inch deer last year with my bow. I love bow hunting. I can't draw a bow back this year. But you know what? I've got more joy and peace in my heart this October than I did last October. Because God is faithful. And he's giving me what I need. And he's refocusing me. He's bringing me to a place of rest. I need to stop preaching and, and stick to my notes, okay? We need to have an all-in mentality, a big bucket mentality. You know what the difference, the main difference between a small bucket mentality and a big bucket mentality is? Just trust. That's really what it boils down to. Do you trust God with your time? Like if we were to tithe our time, you know, like, okay, wait, I don't know how many hours, let's just say, you know, your functional 14, 16 hours a day. You know, 14 hours, would you give an hour on the front side and an hour on the back side? Say, I'm going to tithe that. You know, do you trust that God is going to give you the efficiency? 
to rest in his presence, even though you've got X, Y, and Z to get done, do you trust in God? Do you trust that God will provide in your finances? Do you trust that God is going to provide in your relationship? What prevents people oftentimes from being all in is a lack of trust. And I would just challenge you, Scent Church, please listen to the loving voice of Holy Spirit. Jesus loves you, and, and he's inviting you. He's inviting you to fellowship with him. He's inviting you to, to relationship with him. And there is peace and there is joy that comes when we are all in, when we trust him completely. Would you stand with me as the worship team comes? Would you just close your eyes? Okay, in a moment, as I said, I'm going to invite those who will commit to living all in to come forward to the altar as an outward expression of an inward condition. We're going to spend some time praying. I believe in the, the power of prayer. I really do. But just would you just close your eyes and bow your heads? And we're just going to ask that Holy Spirit would just begin to, to speak to us. Heavenly Father, we need you. Speak to hearts, God. Reveal in us. Is there any area of my life that is a small bucket mentality? Are there any areas that I'm holding on to because I, I don't trust you or maybe I just... I'm just selfish. Holy Spirit, reveal to us. We don't want to be the same as we were when we walked in. We need the refining power of your love and your grace in our hearts. Are there any areas, Jesus, in my heart that are not fully surrendered to you and my time, my attention, my talents, God. Just continue with your eyes closed. If you're here this morning, you say, you know, as you're talking about just trusting God with, with my everything, I realize that I give more lip service than I do with my actions. And this morning, I want to step into the bucket. I want to be all in. I, I, I want to just rededicate my life in a way that is, is fresh. And, and I choose this morning to set my eyes and affection on things above and not pursue the things that earth has for me first. But I choose to pursue heaven. God's righteousness and trust that all of these things, my food, my shelter, my clothing, all of these things, they're going to be provided for me. And if that's you and you just say, you feel like you've had a little bit of a wake-up call this morning, you're getting back all in the bucket, would you just raise your hand with every eye closed and head bowed? Yeah. Yeah. Jesus, I pray, God, that you would pour out a fuller experience presence, that your Holy Spirit would, would just begin to touch every heart and minister in powerful ways. Help us, Jesus. Help us, Jesus.
Just continue with eyes closed. You say, you know, I've, I've, uh, I've never stepped into the bucket. I've never asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins. I, I, if I died today, I don't know that I would make it to heaven. Maybe you've carried sins for a long time and you haven't believed the truth that Jesus paid it all. That Jesus paid it all for you. He paid it all for your sins and that his work on the cross is enough. And it's not about how much you can give or how you can serve or what you can do for the Lord, but it's all about what Jesus has done. And you say this morning for the first time, Jesus, enter my heart forgive me of my sins, fill me with your Holy Spirit, place my feet on a new path. I'm done doing things my own way. And so would you change my mind, change my heart, change the way I feel about things. I need something fresh and that person is you. So if that's you and you'd say for the first time you're giving your life to Christ, you've never done this before, would you just raise your hand? I wanna be able to pray for you going to embarrass you or anything. Is there anyone here? Yeah. Yeah. If you just pray this prayer with me and, and repeat this, just say, Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. I believe that you were crucified and that three days later you came to life. I believe that you are the son of God. I believe that there is no other name that can save me but the almighty name of Jesus Christ. I pray that you would forgive me of my sins, that you would change my course of life, that you would change my heart's desires, that I would begin to hunger and thirst after the things above, Lord. So I pray that you would enter me in a newfound way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we just put our hands together for that one soul? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I don't know what the worship team is going to play, but if you could just play kind of softly, we're going to open up the altars. And, and here's how I want to do this. This is going to be maybe a little bit um, uncomfortable. Um, but I believe that there's power in vulnerability and there's power in this. If you would say this morning that the area that you need to surrender all the way to God is a relationship in some capacity. Would you just come forward right now uh, as, as, as I'm, I'm talking, okay? This could be a number of different things. It could be in your marriage. It could be in parenting. It could be a friendship. Is there anyone else that would say, man, I need to surrender. I need to trust God. Maybe you're single and you're just like, you're just like longing for a relationship. You're just hungry and you're thirsty for a relationship. And you say, I, I, I want to surrender that to Jesus. I'm inviting the presence of Jesus to leave me amazed this morning. And this morning, if you say that finances are something that has a grip of your heart and you don't like it, and maybe you're standing here and you're like, I don't know how I'm going to pay the bills. I don't know how I'm going to afford my next insurance payment. I don't know how I'm going to put tires on my vehicle. I don't know how I'm going to do this. And you say finances is an area that you need to be all in and you just need to begin to honor the Lord and what he's required, would you just begin to step forward right now? This is not judging, this is a place where there is life. Right now, Jesus, I pray a healing and wholeness, God. Hallelujah, Jesus, let your spirit.
feel like there is an element of your time that you're holding on to. And you say, I want to let Lord be Lord of my life all of my days. Would you just step forward and you just say, God, I, I, I need you to be all in in my time, in the way that I serve, in my attention, that I'm not sitting there wasting time scrolling through pointless social media that leads to fruitfulness, that I need to get off the YouTube, I need to get off the Facebook, I need to get off these things, but God, I want you to be Lord of my life. That car rides, even bathroom visits on the lunch break, God, can be a time of your presence because I'm more concerned about what you're speaking to me rather than the word of the world is speaking to me. And lastly, if you'd say this morning, that you've been carrying around sins and you've been struggling to accept the forgiveness that Jesus Christ has given you. You know that you're free, you know that you've been forgiven, and you know that intellectually, but there's still something in your heart. That accuser, and this is how sneaky and dirty the devil is, right? He says, do this, do this, do this, and then he says, how could you, how could you, how could you? And you've been listening to that voice of how could you, and all the shame and the guilt that Satan is pushing your way. And that's you, and you say, I need to just be all in and accept the free gift of salvation, the grace of Jesus Christ. Would you come out of your seats right now, down to this altar, lay it at the feet of Jesus. Let's pray right now. Just everyone, just begin to pray. Jesus, we need you, Lord. I pray that your Holy Spirit would just begin to minister. I pray for those who need a touch in relationships, God. I pray for the parent that just feeling just uh, overwhelmed, God, just feeling at a loss, that they feel like they, they, they've already blown their opportunity, their kids are raised, and they're looking at their grandkids and thinking, how could I have let this happen? I pray a special mercy and a grace over them, Jesus. I pray, God, right now for, for people who have uh, yet to step into the obedience of tithing, Lord, I pray that you would um, just honor them, and I pray that when they give that first tithe check, that there would be raises or there would be ways that, that they would see your faithfulness, that you would allow their vehicles to be healthy vehicles, God, and that they would be able to drive them well into the 200,000s, God. And I, I, I pray um, that, that there would just be a joyfulness. Sometimes it's scary, Lord, but we trust you because you're the God who spoke and the world was created. You're the God who speaks, and with a word or with one touch, you can do miracles, God. And so I pray, Jesus, this morning that you would just begin to open up heaven. We love you, God. We love you, Jesus. We love you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Can we sing something? Thank you, Jesus.